half a degree doesn't sound like a lot, but when you evaluate and look at these reports about the climate impacts and what a different world we're living in, even in terms of sea level rise. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. I'm John Fiella. At our recent Renewable Energy Forum, I had the pleasure to sit down with Trip Borstel, Director of Sustainability Solutions at NG Impact, to discuss key levers to work and issues relating to the use of carbon offsets when it comes to achieving net zero emissions. We have a lot to cover, so let's jump right in. Trip, thanks for joining us at the Renewable Energy Forum. And why don't we start by having you give us a brief introduction of your background and your current role at NG Impact. Great. Thank you, John. And I appreciate you having me on. And it's a pleasure to be here. I'm part of NG Impact. So NG, if you don't know, is a global private utility based in, in Paris with 64 billion in revenues, 160,000 employees. It's massive. So NG Impact is a business within that. And it was really designed to help clients with sustainability and specifically with their decarbonization journey. So we're about 2,000 people globally. So I'm part of that group. My background is in climate and sustainability strategy for the last 15 years. So uh, previous to this, I worked at a boutique firm back in 2008 and 2012. And in those years, it was trying to enroll companies on why should they do sustainability. And then my previous employer was PwC. And when we were there, we were focused on the question of what should you do? Materiality assessments and setting uh, targets. And now at NG Impact, we really focus on how and the execution part of it and what are the strategies and technical solutions in order to be able to do that. My particular focus is on helping organizations with transformation aspect of decarbonization. So setting the strategy and combining both how you set high-level goals along with the technical expertise and how you execute on individual elements of it. Well, your background at PwC is definitely going to serve you well here. Transformation has been such an important topic in so many industries, and I know that the large consulting firms have done a lot of work in that area. When you think about transformation related to the energy transition, what what is it that you think about? Yeah, I mean, historically, sustainability has lived within sustainability offices and chief sustainability officers. But really, when you think about decarbonization and net zero, it is a massive transformation, similar to the scale of, say, a major IT transformation. And yet often it's significantly less funded. So really, a lot of the work is thinking about what do you need to invest in in order to be able to get to the goals that you set 
So there's two components of transformation to work with. One is just the technical transformation. What are the mobility solutions? Uh, what are the energy efficiency solutions and renewable energy that are needed in order to be able to hit those goals? But the second is about the human and organizational systems that need transforming inside of an organization. Thinking about designing programs that engage the entire organization and create alignment, create ownership across the different parties. You know, the scale of the challenge requires all the different disciplines in order to be involved. So you need senior leaders who are there with championing it, providing inspiration, but most importantly, perhaps is marshalling the resources and the focus of the organization to make it a priority. IT has an important role to play. Data is crucial in being able to measure and therefore manage greenhouse gas emissions to set what are your targets and are we making progress along the way and how much are we investing and are we getting returns for those investments? All of those are data decisions. CFO's office plays a really critical role in thinking through how to finance those decarbonization solutions. Procurement organizations in scope three missions, particularly about how do they engage their suppliers in helping reduce those suppliers' scope one and two emissions. And lastly, marketing plays a really important role, particularly internally. And what's the narrative that will engage employees that's authentic to the company? So that's part of what I really love about my job is helping clients reframe sustainability to what one client called carbon is pixie dust. Like, I don't really understand it. And through that journey, we got them to, you know, become experts in it, at least in the context of their own business, and also providing very strong financial and non-financial benefits to the organization. Yeah, I think many that are listening to the session right now have felt the pain associated with trying to get alignment across all those divisions and departments and it proves to be a challenge that most large customers can can use help with. Okay, so net zero. What is NG Impact's definition of, of net zero trip? What does it mean? What is it? Yeah, so the slide that you see here is I would I would caveat by saying these are not official definitions. These are based on our observations in the marketplace and working with clients. But I would say the definitions, particularly around net zero, are evolving. There are groups who are actually working on that, in particular, the science-based target initiative. But carbon neutral, what is it? So it's probably about a 20-year-old turn, and that heading really is about balancing emissions on an annual basis. So we're emitting so much carbon out, we need to preserve so much carbon the first one was in about the year 2000, and many sort of followed suit through the O's and, and the last decade, including Google, Dell, Pepsi, a lot of tech companies putting carbon neutral goals. And those companies certainly did reduction projects around energy efficiency and renewable energy and played a really important role in pioneering those and paving the way to particularly the renewable energy infrastructure that we have today, but it also relied heavily on offsets. And in those days, it was renewable energy credits was the primary vehicle in order to be able to, to get there. And it primarily focused on scope one and two emissions, really because scope three emissions was still evolving. It is still evolving even today. And it lastly was set as an annual goal. It wasn't a long-term vision about how the company is able to, to do it. And there's a couple of reasons 
why there are a, a few things that were missing. The first was just the idea of a science-based target. And I think in the last few years, what has happened are two things. One was the Paris Climate Accord in 2016. And the gift of that is that it gave a long-term target in order to hit. And in those days, your audience probably remember, there was a two-degree target in which most of the countries were starting to align to. But then there was a movement within it to set a more ambitious 1.5-degree target or to limit global emissions going above. And that was really important. Like, a half a degree doesn't sound like a lot, but when you evaluate and look at these reports about the climate impacts and what a different world we're living in, even in terms of sea level rise, you can look at maps that show New York City at 1.5 versus 2.5 degrees, and you see the degree of flooding that exists mm -hmm. there in just one level. That became a rallying cry and a long-term target around it. The second one I credit was Andrew Winston, who writes a lot about sustainability, has for the last 20 years or so. And in his book, The Big Pivot, which came out five or six years ago, he really advocated for companies to set science-based target. And he gave this great metaphor of a sinking boat. And he asked the question, you know, if you're in a boat that's getting taking water on, you don't ask everyone in the boat how much water they can bail out, right? It's a specific amount of work each person needs to do to ensure that the boat doesn't sink. And it's the same with carbon. Like the planet doesn't care about who is doing what in terms of carbon emissions. All that matters is that we actually stop emissions and then actually need to remove those emissions in there. So those two recent developments really have led to where we are around net zero. Yeah, well, the momentum and the speed with which companies are making these commitments, it really does feel like a tsunami. But there is a lot of confusion around these definitions. And I, I, I like, Trip the way you've laid this out. The continuum is clear from neutrality to negative. Some good criteria underneath each stage. And I will tell you, we could do an entire hour session just on this slide discussing it, debating it, but this was this was very, very helpful. So thank you for sharing that. So with most of the commitments now being made, being net zero commitments, how should attendees be thinking about getting there? What are the different pathways to net zero? What are the key levers that you could pull to accomplish what is a very ambitious goal? Yeah, I mean, a moment on just the what is that goal around net zero and how is it beginning to evolve? Because you're right, there are a lot of companies that, you know, especially in the last 12 months, have started to mm -hmm. break those commitments. I mean, I would say the distinguishing feature of all of those is that it is a science-based target. It is a long-term goal. And increasingly, it really is about hitting 1.5 degrees, which roughly means eliminating emissions that you are not emitting any emissions by the year 2050. And even that is shifting. A lot of companies such as Amazon and others are shifting it to a goal around 2040, mm -hmm. which is incredibly aggressive and ambitious. So doing bailing out more water than their quote fair share to be able to do it. And it makes sense for a company like Amazon, given the scale and the innovation that they can generate around it. 
but that definition is actually starting to emerge. You know, the, the organization, the science-based target initiative is playing a pivotal role in the conversation of how should we define this? And then in many ways, they do set the standards around what qualifies as a science-based goal, providing guidance as well as validation around it. The other thing I would say that's distinguishing about it is increasingly includes scope three emissions. So 90% of companies that have committed to science-based targets through the SBTI have committed to scope three targets, but it is different. So scope one and two emissions, so that is the emissions that are under their direct control, either through fuel that they burn in their vehicles or natural gas or the electricity that they purchase. Those are really about getting to true zero. Scope three is more difficult, right? Things like business travel and purchase goods and services where there is not a high degree of control for most companies. The guidance there is about setting targets on two thirds of your scope three emissions and individual targets for each one of those. So for instance, with business travel, my own organization, NG Impact, I helped them think through about what sort of travel or what sort of program and goals should you set around business travel? I mean, we are largely a professional services company. And then like management consulting services, you board airplanes to go visit clients, although a lot of that is changing through COVID. But what targets should we set that's reasonable that it doesn't limit the way that we can grow? And how do we empower people in the organization to make decisions that reduce carbon, both having visibility but as well as to track and create incentives around it? So I think scope three is really interesting. A lot of, I think, innovation that's happening around how to think about that is encouraged. So net zero is that package, science-based targets, as well as including scope three emissions. And if I can add one more thing around that last piece around carbon negative, sure. Microsoft certainly planted the flag in their goal and made it very distinctive. But it highlights something I think that's really interesting, which is about removing carbon from the mm -hmm. atmosphere, not just mm -hmm. getting to zero emissions. And I think that's distinctive. They've taken it one step further, which is removing emissions through the history of Microsoft from its inception in 1975. And so I think it opens up that next frontier of ambition and setting carbon goals. Yeah, super. So that's a really good, that's a high level overview. Let, let, let's get into some of the more specific details around the various pathways. And I know when we were planning for the conversation trip, you referenced five different levers that can be, be pulled. I'd like you to drill down into the next level of detail around the different pathways and maybe touch on each of the five levers a little bit specifically. Happy to. Thanks, John. Yeah. So that graph you see is you know, one we often use with clients. It was inspired by the IPCC wedge diagram, which people can look up. And each of those represents a pathway of how you reduce your carbon emissions. And the first one probably to, to hit is around energy efficiency. That is always the place to start for a variety of reasons. One, it's the most accessible. And two, it usually has cost savings associated with that. One of the things we focus on and see our clients focus on is how do you scale it? So if you have 200 manufacturing sites globally, it's not efficient to go out and do energy audits on each and every one of them. So one way is really how do you engage and train and create energy champions in those manufacturing plants? And how do you engage them 
all at once or in large batches. And so you create a community of energy champions and you train them in how you collect data, how you identify projects, how do you develop a business case that they get presented in front of senior leadership. The other benefit of doing that that relates to scaling is getting a portfolio view. So energy efficiency often has been done in a way where they cherry pick quick win projects, projects that have payback of two years. And that really robs a company of taking a larger portfolio view and doing more projects and yet getting good returns associated with it. So those quick win projects really help fund longer term, say, eight-year payback projects that may have large amounts of carbon emissions. So taking a portfolio really unlocks a lot more value from a carbon and cost savings perspective. I think the other thing I've seen clients do with those cost savings, oftentimes what happens is sustainability office or a central group does the work, helps a plant get to their cost savings, and then the cost savings just goes to the plant year one, despite all that work. And so companies are thinking about how do we create a pool? of funds and take that first year of savings and then apply that to say purchasing renewable energy in there. So kind of a central energy management fund to be able to to do it. And some clients take it a step further as setting a car price on carbon mm-hmm. as a way to be able to pool funds in order to play for for energy efficiency projects. Yeah, that's interesting. Just just a couple of things I'd like to add there. For the last couple of years, efficiency has been kind of the redheaded stepchild, right? All of the interest and attractions have been on renewable procurement, renewable procurement. The goalpost shift to overall emission reductions. Efficiency is now really interesting again. And a couple of ideas that you referenced that I've got kind of specific examples of because of their participation at our prior events. David Reed at Selenese is one of our advisory board members. He's also a prior keynote speaker. And he laid out kind of the approach that they've used at Selenese to create those champions kind of at the plant level who really take ownership in helping to drive energy savings and energy efficiency. And it seems that those people that have been most effective have been those that have found a way to make it important to the people actually on the line. The other thing you referenced, Trip, which I, I think is just really important, is the idea of taking savings and not just dropping them to the bottom line, which everyone would obviously like to do, but maybe taking a portion of those savings or all of those savings to fund additional projects. And the University of Virginia, I guess, is kind of the best example that we have of that where they participated in a keynote and they talked about how there was an, an initial fund for retrofitting a building, energy efficiency related projects. And they said, hey, whatever you save, you're going to be able to reinvest in other projects. And the scope of that over time has grown dramatically. So I really like that approach. So you have renewable thermal here, you've got mobility, two very, very hot topics. I I think that kind of green thermal is in search of the appropriate technologies, mobility, everybody's going after it. Do you have any additional thoughts on those two elements? Green thermal is of particular interest in it. It is the most difficult in order to 
of a, I mean, renewable energy, the infrastructure is there, the vehicles are there. It's really a question of what strategy is appropriate to fit the business needs. Green thermal, I don't know, in the context of the U.S., because natural gas is so inexpensive, the business case often isn't there. So I would say there are short-term solutions and long-term solutions. So a lot of people are talking about electrification as a way to make that transition. And for large-scale plants, thinking about electrification is no small feat. And so one area that's getting a lot of interest is around heat pumps and all the different applications that you can use heat pumps either to replace or augment large boiler systems or other other sources of thermal energy. I think what also is interesting in that space is going back to energy efficiency. There's thermal energy efficiency. So I had a colleague that worked in a glass manufacturing plant And he experimented with all sorts of things, including how you capture some of the waste heat in there Mm -hmm. and be able to use it for other things, things even like domestic water or heating within the building or even back into manufacturing processes themselves. That work requires deep expertise of people who understand manufacturing operations. You don't want to go in there and start to mess with things that affect the production process. But those are really interesting on the longer term horizon is you know hydrogen a lot of talk about hydrogen it's really interesting i think one of the things that is important is the distinction between green hydrogen and other sources of hydrogen and that generating hydrogen using renewable resources is really important from a carbon perspective but it opens up this really interesting thing so you know for instance in chile which gets arguably more solar or more solar capacity than just about anywhere in the planet and north in the desert area. They're thinking about how do we ship that renewable energy since we can't use it all domestically. And so the thing is you can, with hydrogen, put it into different forms. You can put it into ammonia and then you can send it to a port and ship it to another area and then be able to use that as an energy source in there. So this idea of shipping renewable energy around the globe, I think is one that's that's really interesting. And then thinking about hydrogen in mobility is another area as well. It's controversial, you know, is it more efficient than electricity or or not? But I mean, one area is particularly with heavy duty trucks where battery capacity is really challenging, using hydrogen as a primary source there. In fact, I think Nikola is one of the leaders in that space of developing a hydrogen-powered fuel. So it's a fascinating area, green thermal, and I think a lot of room for for innovation uh, in that area. Yeah. So the other item, you had a couple of other items up on the chart, and one was renewables and people at this event, right, that have done it or are trying to do it for the first time will tell you that renewable energy procurement is tough. It's challenging. There are lots of issues. The recent research we've done around decarbonization, the state of decarbonization, is that the two big things that are on the horizon that will be big, big topics in 2022 are electrification of on-site assets, just as you discussed with heat pumps, and vehicle fleet electrification, which was the topic of pre-conference workshop and some recent research that we're in the process of releasing. And What's interesting is to hear people that have actually tried electrification of assets and tried fleet electrification is that it's tougher than it, than it seems. 
they describe it almost as if renewable procurement is easy compared to the work that's required to electrify on-site assets and convert to electrifying vehicle fleets. But it's all going to have to be done in order to achieve these net zero goals. The one area that probably people have most questions about is about the use of offsets. And you have that here as one of the levers, and I've got to ask you about it. There's debate about where they can be used, where they can't be used, whether they should be used. What's your take on kind of the role that offsets should play in someone's roadmap to net zero? Yeah. Are using offsets cheating, in other words? Yes. Right? It's a really good question. The short answer is it's tending towards, or the standards are tending towards higher quality offsets and more sufficient the procurement of offsets. So just buying RECs, which is historically, is increasingly insufficient as part of a narrative for companies to be able to tell what they're doing around offsets. I think also in terms of the long term in there is that there is near zero reliance on offsets by the year 2040 or the year 2050, except for maybe mm-hmm. really hard things to abate. Green thermal may be one of those things for a company. But for offsets, there's a distinction, I think, that's happening in around offset versus removal of carbon. And our stance is that both are really important. So offsets or using purchasing projects that retain, that store carbon. So for instance, conservation of a rainforest, for instance, those are still really valid. Even though they don't remove carbon out of the atmosphere, it's better than have them being logged. But they also provide lots of other benefits to those community, including watershed and also livelihood for those communities, not to mention biodiversity in there. So those are really important. And it would be shame to have the whole offset move market move to removals. But having said that, removals are really important because we do need to take carbon out of the atmosphere and to sequester those. And there's really interesting stuff happening in that space. Two major type of solutions that developer offset project developers are doing on are technological solutions. So direct air capture is an example of that, of sucking carbon literally out of the atmosphere, out of a power plant and storing it underground into some sort of stable uh, structure. But also nature-based solutions is another area that is increasingly important and getting a lot of interest from companies. Nature knows how to sequester carbon, both in terms of short-term carbon cycles and Mm -hmm. long-term carbon cycles. So there is movement around an area called blue carbon, which is really about restoration of coastal ecosystems that have been degraded over time. So you can imagine mangroves in the southeast along the Gulf Coast, and you you can sequester quite a bit of carbon, but they provide lots of other benefits as well. Storm protection, protection from sea level rise. If they're located to urban areas, they provide parks and green space for people to be able to go to. And also livelihood. A lot of these Mm. are about creating habitat and restoring fisheries that help with food security as well as local ecosystems. One other comment I will make about offsets, which I think is interesting, is around the price. So right now, they're about $10 a ton. They're cheaper in developing countries because the cost of land and labor is less expensive. But it also it's going to likely increase in quite substantially over time because with all these net zero goals, John, like we mentioned at the top of the program, demand is going to outstrip 
supply in there and the cost of carbon is going to rise. And it sets an interesting question for companies, which is, should I, in the short term, invest in carbon offsets or should I invest that money instead into mobility projects or green thermal projects in there? So it kind of sets a price of Target or, or McKinsey had their marginal abatement cost curve many years ago around their sources of returns. And then there's really expensive projects to reduce a ton of carbon. And using that offset price can actually help companies invest in projects that they wouldn't have otherwise. And those long-term energy efficiency or even green thermal projects like a heat pump become viable if you have a $10 price on carbon as part of that equation. Well, oh my goodness, I'm really sorry that we've close to run out of time to get into this further trip because this one topic I think is fascinating. And I really like the way you not only discuss the role of offsets, but you talked about all the different types of offsets that are here today and on the horizon. Regarding the supply and demand piece, I've seen projections that say within three years, demand is going to it's outstrip supply by a factor of like 15 times. And the impact that's going to have on pricing is going to get everyone's attention. So thank you for that, for those insights. I guess before we wrap up, you know, I I would like you to have the opportunity to take a minute and tell us about NG's recent emission reduction commitments and the role that NG Impact played in their development during a town hall session earlier this week that was for buyers only. Buyers had a chance to reflect on some announcements. You know, I thought this might be an opportunity for you to briefly tell us about what what NG's announced. Sure. So NG Globally, which is electricity generation business, also natural gas distribution, in addition to advisory services, has set its own net zero carbon goal mm-hmm. by 2040 across all three scopes, with an interim goal to have its half its emissions from from power generation by 2030. And part of that strategy is, in essence, disposing of the dirtiest of those assets and eliminating coal-fired plants by 2027 and even earlier in Europe. And then taking those funds and actually investing them in renewables in there. So with the goal of doubling its renewable capacity of electricity generation. We were fortunate to play the role as advisors to our own company in helping them think through that and working with senior leadership and creating that alignment and thinking about how do you create that level of transformation inside of an energy business that has relied on fossil fuels for over 100 years, as any energy company has. And so we helped them both create alignment, but also work with around scope three, which for us is very interesting in thinking particularly around purchased goods and services and the massive procurement organization within NG. And if you have a list of 50,000 suppliers, where do you even begin? And how do you set targets? And how do you engage with them? And how you prioritize them? So we worked quite a bit with the procurement organization as well to help them develop targets as well as programs to engage their suppliers. Super. Well, congratulations on that. And We look forward to continuing to uh, follow the progress that NG as a company makes towards its uh, emission reduction commitments. Tripp, thanks again for joining us today. I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for listening to this podcast and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. 
If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, click on the link in the show notes for details. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. 